I came up here for my interview, it was as though I'd been here before. I mean, we all have moments of deja vu, but this was ridiculous. It was almost as though I knew what was going to be around every corner. Welcome to Voice Print Identification. 2001, A Space Policy. I'm Wes. I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. <laughs> Let's talk about Danny's bedroom and emergency. No, we're, we're talking about uh, the the show by, produced by Jack Webb of Dragnet fame. Also did Adam Twelve at the same time. This were these were the original police procedurals. What you followed in emergency were a, cu- a couple of EMTs going around and basically doing their their day's work and going through the lives of everyday people and and everyday stories that were taken from the real lives of people working those jobs. So it's kind and of a that snapshot. show and that show uh, catapulted. A lot of people into those positions as an EMT mm. or nurse or, or, or even doctoring. You say that it had a, a, a big impact on you as a kid. It did. It did. It filled like Star Trek did. Uh, it filled some big shoes for me. That show, I think even merchandise associated with it. There's even a lunchbox that, that came out. Now, what can you tell us about this lunchbox? The lunchbox that's in Danny's bedroom yeah. behind the doctor as she's examining him. Yes. It's just one of the many lunchboxes that came out back in the day when kids were carrying their lunch to school. I carried one, not an emergency one. I may have had a Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Uh, I can't remember my lunchbox. My brother had a Land of the Giants lunchbox. Yeah, that was the one he rocked. He was (laughs) born in 63, so... He rocked a lunchbox like the rest of us with with a thermos inside. Yeah, a, cl- nice. a glass thermos, and it was always a bummer when your glass thermos busted. Oh. but then you'd get a new lunchbox too. Oh, nice! <laughs> Carried a lot of tuna fish sandwiches in that in those lunchboxes back then. This is something that I never would have have seen if you hadn't pointed it out, but but couldn't have seen it except that I recently purchased uh, the new 4K set. I was able to see the shots of that as well as the fact that emergency plays a, another role in this bedroom, does it not? The, yes, it, it's, it's kind of secondary. There's a lot of things going on with emergency uh, that it was based on on real events, just like Adam 12 was a little bit. Jack Webb was very famous for, for doing this. Dragnet also was was based on real events as well. And then there was that sense of reality TV going on there, which um, I think Kubrick is probably very good at using that film medium to present a a more like a magical one. Mm. Please, some money. I I wouldn't think of it. How can I repay you? It's okay, really. Well, I'm going to have some coffee. Would you like some? Sure. Great. Sit down. Oh, marvelous donuts. Help yourself. Coffee will be ready in a minute. Mom? Yeah? 
Oh, you drink coffee, don't Can you? Can I go to my room and get my fire engine? Not right now. Daddy's asleep. Oh, no. I take it for black. I won't make any noise. Now, come on, Doc. He only went to bed a few hours ago. Can't you wait till later? I won't make a sound. I promise I'll tiptoe. Well, all right. But really don't make a sound. I won't, Mom. And make sure you come right back, because I'm going to make lunch soon. Okay? Okay, Mom. But this episode, if you look at the episodes in Emergency, and you go to the second season and the second episode, there's a very familiar theme going on there. And the, the title of the episode is called Kids. And basically, one of the shots in the episode goes shot for shot in The Shining, practically, except the zoom is reversed. But the child is both children are being examined, both by doctors and uh, and they say practically the same things. And the scene kind of ends with the child saying, I I don't want to talk about this anymore. Mm. Can you remember what you were doing just before you started brushing your teeth? Talking to Tony. Is Tony one of your animals? No, he's a little bit lives in my mouth. Tony's his imaginary friend. Oh. If you were to open your mouth now, could I see Tony? No. Why not? Because he hides. Where does he go? To my stomach. Does Tony ever tell you to do things? I don't want to talk about Tony anymore. Okay. That's fine. That's quite a bump you have there, young man. What do you say we take a few pictures of it? You mean x-ray pictures? Oh, you know about those, huh? They aren't hurt. That's the best part. You bet. Frankie. Can you remember yet how you happened to bump your head? Uh, when I fell, I hit something. Can you remember what it was? No, I just hit something, was all. I don't feel good. Can we stop talking, please? Sure, Frankie. We can stop. And this, you know, the, the, the theme going on in that in that episode is child abuse mm. and there's they show through x-rays that there's repeated you know fractures in in the same area mm. indicative of of child abuse so yeah it's a pretty uh a pretty intense episode what uh, what kind of a hole did you say you fell in a post hole was it uh, lined with concrete uh-uh just the opposite what do you mean Johnny here almost replaced the post. The dirt was so loose around that hole, it caved in on him. That's strange. And dark, too. Listen, we better make ourselves available. Engine company got dispatched to a brush fire on our way in. Oh, yeah, sure, boy. I, I love the show, but I think I love the beginning music and the opening scenes more than anything and mm. how they get into the rest of the episode. Mm. I could care less about the rest of the episode sometimes, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
Nelson Riddle's music mm. that really captured me. And of course, John Gage and Roy DeSoto were were kind of like father figures to me when I was you know five or six. Great but, empathetic leads. Mm-hmm, very much so. And, and a lot of leadership at the same time. Mm. And it turns out that Nelson Riddle wrote the theme song to that show, who also wrote the theme to Batman, but also worked on Lolita. Interesting. So, it, that one episode kind of circles around back, you know, in a very magical kind of way. And it kind of goes back to that thing of Kubrick's with Lolita and the child abuse in there. So, that's that's the way that you can get to how child abuse is featured in The Shining, for sure. And you can, you can pretty much nail down that it was probably Jack that hurt the kid. It was definitely Jack that hurt the kid. He even says it. Hey, I, I used a little bit too much pressure. Yeah. Too many pounds per square inch. Jerk mm. the shoulder. But the other horrible thing to figure out is, you know, and we already talked about it, is what what's going on between the kid and Wendy. And we don't need to talk about that too directly. I what guess, I, what but I it would be better add. to infer it, I guess. Sure. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you about something else that's in the bedroom. Speaking of their relationship. There is a peekaboo tiger placard. <laughs> that's a lot to say. <laughs> and I think the way Kubrick valued things, and I think I'm talking like Bill Friedkin here. I'm, I'm trying to, oh, God, trying to get into the spirit of Bill Freakin narrating here and the, how he used very kind of slow, broken English a little bit. That was a big impact the other day when we yeah. lost Bill Freakin. Hero of mine for sure. Uh, but the Peekaboo Tiger, the way I think Kubrick may have weighted things by how, may have been by how high up they would have been like the, the In This House of Breed, the rumored Godden book that's up on the windowsill, hmm. which released the Black Narcissus, you know, in movie form really kind of represents the trek up to the overlook and and the problems that they had up there it's very similar and there's a lot there's a lot of foundation in there for the shining story the peekaboo tiger seems to be high up on the shelf and that just seems to have you know a, a weightier kind of value to me that danny had a problem with separating from his mom and that's why the placard's still out there that it had been used at least until up, up until recently perhaps at least I think that's what that's inferring, that Danny had separation anxiety. Did he adjust well to school? Mm, no. <laughs> he didn't like it too much at first. And then he had an injury, so we kept him out for a while. And... This is a game where you're putting your hands over your face and the world vanishes. Correct. And that is a shot that we see... Um, Several times. Several times, yeah, several times when when Danny Dad's is doing it. seeing the horrors of The Shining itself and and what he's witnessing with those visions, we see these these tableau, you know, still images. They're not freeze frames, you know. He's just holding still in the shot, camera rolling with these frozen expressions of horrors. His eyes are wide and his mouth is agape, but his his hands are on his cheeks like. Like his head's going to explode to hold his head together, but also because he's, you can tell he's getting ready to put his hands on either his eyes or his mouth. And it's a magical way to, just like you said, to make it all go away. It definitely, it's related to that where usually a mother would play this, this peekaboo tiger game with the child and either disappear behind it, you know, underneath a table or 
use your hands, like you said, to yeah. make yourself disappear and then reappear. And the child is, you know, is either going to adapt to this separation or, you know, begin this period of anxiety where the child doesn't want to be away from, doesn't like it. The very essence of why the existence of Tony, you know, why does he need, according to, you know, the evaluation and the and the inferences of why Tony appeared, really, you know, what, what does he need from a friend and a finger that he doesn't have in real life? Tony, why don't you want to go to the hotel? I don't know. You do too, no. No, come on, tell me. I don't want to. Please. No. Tony, tell me. Aside from the, the more insidious or uh, supernatural implications just psychologically which kubrick was certainly obsessed with the psychology and less the spiritual mm -hmm. more more analytical yeah on that point if you can make the world say disappear and your problems disappear in front of you because you you just cover it up and that says a lot about today's society as well but jack maybe figured out a way if you could make the world disappear maybe you could make something up here mm. Perhaps. And that's one way to take Lloyd and how Lloyd just all of a sudden appears in front of Jack that he did this peekaboo thing and he he, he summoned him in a way, in his mm -hmm. imagination, say. A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What let be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd, because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there till next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. I'm not busy at all. Good man. There's a lot going on in The Shining. There's no doubt. You can, you, it should, it's very, very convoluted. And you will spin the combination lock so many times thinking you're about to hit it or you're going to get all the colors straight on the Rubik's Cube and then it just gets wacky. <laughs> it's amazing. It is. It's just, <laughs> it's still, it still spins my head to a point where I'm, I'm like, yeah. I need to, I need to lay off of this for a minute. <laughs> I was having a lot of fun with your uh, doppelganger theory and connecting the characters. That I didn't know if you had something you wanted to speak to as far as like because doppelgangers kind of permeate mythology um, and have been in story for a long time, and, and they're usually a force of either corruption or kind of like a an opposite force that's there to either take your place in a way. It just depends on the storytelling, but is, is any of that mythology represented, do you think, in these characters? Absolutely. I think you can add whatever you want into the meaning behind The Shining. I think that's what makes it great and so open to discussion and anybody's thoughts and what they have on it. I just don't subscribe to the some of the conspiracy theories that have floated around that we don't need to get into obviously sure, there's there's so there's so mm -hmm. many there you know it, it's a uh... truth is is weird enough to have <laughs> to make stuff up yeah, right. absolutely <laughs> i'm quite sure there's nothing physically wrong with danny yeah 
Oh. Yeah, he seems absolutely fine now. But you should have seen him. <laughs> I know. Kids can scare you to death. But believe me, these episodes are not at all uncommon. And they look much worse than they are. But, uh, what was the matter with him? Mrs. Torrance, most of the time these episodes with kids are never explained. They're brought on by emotional factors and they rarely occur again. They're more akin to auto-hypnosis, a kind of self-induced trance. If Danny's fears, if, we, if you could just say that Danny's fears are being projected in The Shining, and, and this is a good reason for the peekaboo face again, because maybe by putting your hands up to your face, it'll make all that lightness that's coming in and whatever that vision is will go away. Hmm. But one of the things that Danny sees and his mother finally sees eventually is the elevator with the red fluid coming out of it. Right. lot of another thing especially back at the apartment in the form of kool-aid flavor mix Mm. and if you want to consider you could consider two things i think you could consider two things with this fear whatever the elevator represents and i'm saying that it represents a lot of things a lot of things but particular to danny would be either his fear of spilling his drink or dropping his glass which was huge in the 70s I had a fear of it at one time. And everything was carpeted. And every every kid spilled a, a glass of something at some point, and he was probably hit for that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that's where the abuse may have started. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can think of it in any way that you want to. I think it's great that Kubrick's films are like that, that it allows anybody, any observer to make determinations for themselves. Mm-hmm. Dad? Yes? I'm hungry. Well, you should have eaten your breakfast. We'll get you something as soon as we get to the hotel, okay? Okay, Mom. Hey, wasn't it around here that the Donner Party got snowbound? I think that was farther west in the Sierras. What was the Donner Party? They were a party of settlers in covered wagon times. They got snowbound one winter in the mountains. They had to resort to cannibalism in order to stay alive. You mean they ate each other, huh? They had to, in order to survive. Jack, don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. Saw it on the television. Can we speak a little bit to a generational thing that's being touched on here? Jack Nicholson is, I guess, what he's born in, say, late 30s, maybe? I think so. But I think in this 
movie, he is playing Greatest Generation era father. The cocktails at five dad who, even though he's working from home, if I'm not bringing work home in the living room, then you're not going to bring your problems from school to me in the den while I'm watching TV. Don't disturb Mike Brady. This is daddy's time. Yeah. And vibe. And that was a generational issue and, and, and uh, what some of the things that manifested what happened in the, the, the next two generations after that generation. And a lot of it came from processing or not processing trauma from the war. But is that maybe a possibility? I kind of drilled a hole there for myself. but Got yourself a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> Easy to do with these movies. Tony. Do you think Dad'll get the job? He already did. He's gonna phone Wendy up in a few minutes to tell her. So, speaking of rabbit holes, it's very interesting, the term rabbit hole and, and what it means to us today, but for Winnie the Pooh, it, it meant a lot. Like Wendy trying to get out of the window, Wendy the Pooh could not get out of Rabbit's hole because mm-hmm. he ate too much honey. Yeah, There's very, very simple symbolic relationships between Winnie the Pooh and The Shining. And that's one of the representations that's used. And Winnie the Pooh is very obviously plays a small part in The Shining along with Roadrunner, Coyote, mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny. Also included in Winnie the Pooh way back in 68 when the original came out. And I could be wrong about this because it's the snowbound Winnie the Pooh, not the blustery day Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. But uh, they backtrack in their tracks in the snow. <laughs> if you remember. No way. Oh, yeah. So, again, we're more it gets more worse in a child's <laughs> perspective in this magical sense point of view. But a mother would have been somebody who would have sat there reading her Catcher in the Rye book while these things played out. And she looked up once in a while to see what was going on, of course, like a mother would. And if I and according to Bettelheim, uses of enchantment mm-hmm. about fairy tales, it was usually mothers that read the fairy tales to their children. And this is where I start leaning on Wendy more and more, that Wendy was reading the Catcher in the Rye. Most of the books in the apartment looked to be Wendy's, at least the ones that are being read and not up on the shelf in the kitchen. She's reading Catcher in the Rye. She's reading page like 133, and it's where Alice and Holden Caulfield get into an argument. I think it's Alice. And they get into one of their really bad arguments. Mm -hmm. But as you know, Catcher in the Rye winds up with him being in the hospital writing his book six months after the fact. I don't know if you get the parallel with Mm -hmm. Wendy being in the hospital bed at the end. That was cut out. It was very obviously inspired by Catcher in the Rye. You get get this sense that this is being written out in front of you almost. And the elements that are going into this this thing, The Shining, is happening right in front of you. Because he's included all the elements like Emergency Mm. and like Winnie the Pooh. He's included that in this, which gives this circular swirling sort of cauldron of magical storytelling. Danny, what happened to your neck? Danny, what happened to your neck? 
the onion you have wendy outside as the writer mm-hmm. yeah which is a i think a beautiful gift to the 70s and the the women's movement yeah. the women now movement it was it was critical back in the 70s women have a lot to thank for everything that happened back in the 70s and everything that they were fighting for tell the story from your point of view which hasn't been heard before I mean, that was a revelatory thing. So many, so much of that uh, was boundary pushing and also stuff that we haven't read before, stuff we haven't heard before, stuff that hasn't been in the public eye until now. And, and it's part of the zeitgeist. This is especially true if you're telling a story from liberating yourself from control, from manipulation, from abuse, mental, physical, sexual you know, su- surviving that and then coming out the other side to tell your story. That's what makes it all the more powerful. And that's what a lot of uh, this literature was airing out for the first time in, in the public discourse back then. And nobody knew it. Nobody knew what Kubrick was trying to express. And it was, I think, too simple of a concept. Mm. People were blowing past it. They were thinking it was this or it was that. Mm-hmm. It was so much more. Or you, you couldn't have possibly come across what he was trying to communicate. I think it's as simple as as reading somebody's visual communication. It just looks like he's got his thumb on the pulse of society in America back in the day, using uh, the United States as its chaise lounge. Beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) This is why you're such a great writer. Uh, The screenplay was by Stanley and Diane Johnson. Diane Johnson, I was hearing in an interview or reading talking about how in her original breakdown of the book had much more of Wendy as a an active participant on screen trying to figure things out, what's going on the mystery with Danny and the spirits and also how to control um, protecting him and with Jack. And the fact that that was shaved down or cut out in a lot of places is interesting. That's definitely for a purpose. That's That's got to be intentional not only just to streamline the narrative and and concentrate the point of view maybe more on on the insane character or the unpleasant character as Stanley is wont to do, in this case, Jack, but so much of it really is from all three of their perspectives. I guess it shifts though, because the first perspective is mostly Jack's, except for the scenes that he's not in. We're set up to think that. And then I guess it, it, changes perspective like uh, psycho so by trimming those scenes maybe eliminating some of that do you think the added ambiguity to the characters lets 
the viewer kind of interpret what they're seeing for character? Well, it's it, like Kubrick would would do. He would definitely lead Yuju in other directions if possible mm-hmm. about Jack, about Wendy and about Danny. And they're all at fault. All, all of them. Everyone in that film is at fault, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, says a lot about things today that I won't get into, like climate mm-hmm. warming and things like that, which is kind of expressed in The Shining because the, the Glacier National Park is like a natural gauge for global warming. Mm. There used to be about 150 glaciers back in about 1850. I'm generalizing here and there's about 38 left. Oh. Yeah. And but nobody nobody ever throws that out there. Everybody just lets the argument go on. I'm like, Glacier National Park is dwindling. I don't know what you're gonna call it after a while. Right. Just National Park. <laughs> Melted ice place. <laughs> and it's beautiful out there. I, I went out there and I took pictures. I stood in line where like the, the line of sight was for the camera and I drove where the Volkswagen drove. Mm. Oh cool. Because I just wanted to put myself there. Yes. Boy, we must really be high up. The air feels so different. Did you listen to Wendy Carlos in your car or was that the little <laughs> step too far? I probably did not listen to Wendy Carlos in the car. I love the Shining soundtrack. I love all the Kubrick soundtracks um, and I buy soundtracks all the time. Yeah, no, I didn't do that, but I did have some Jack Daniels down at the Stanley Hotel. Cool. I, I had to do that. So, and then somebody, somebody said, I don't know why you drink that swill. You, sh- you should try Jefferson's Ocean. And I'm, and uh which which was great but it was like 15 dollars around oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly i'm writing a book here give me some more yeah right and where's lloyd <laughs> yeah, said that when you need him say lloyd uh, it seems i'm temporarily light <laughs> how's my credit in this joint anyway your credit's fine mr torrance that's swell i like you lloyd i always liked you you were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. They said at the Stanley Hotel, they had said that the gentleman who inspired Lloyd, who I guess his name is Lloyd Grady, he had just been there a couple of weeks prior. No way. You just missed him. I'm like, oh, just my luck. <laughs> you probably say that to all your customers. Yeah. <laughs> They were very nice to me and they gave me that, um, that haunted room, but I should have a drink. We should all be drinking avocados or whiskey. I made an awful mess of your jacket, sir. Oh, uh, that's all right. Uh, I've got plenty of jackets. I'm afraid it's avocados, so he tends to stain. Avocado, is it? Yes, sir. Look, um, I think the best thing is to come along to the gentleman's room, sir, and uh, we'll get some water to it, sir. <laughs> Looks as though you might have got a spot of it on yourself there, Jeevesy old boy. Uh-huh. Well, that doesn't matter, sir. You're the important one. Awfully nice of you to say. 
Oh yeah. Speaking of of them all being at fault, and they all have doppelgangers in the nineteen twenty one party. You have just made an incredible little connection here in terms of who was who, and I think I know where you're going. And yeah, I'll I'll take that uh, baton. It's funny how things come to you, like the breakthrough of the glass and how it relates to young in breakthrough in 2001, mm. which I'm sure young, I mean, Kubrick must've been reading all of young stuff and, yeah. and incorporating at least some of that. And with the shining and Diane Johnson having previously written the shadow, it's very young in also. Mm-hmm. And if you look at allegory as a shadow in the film, like mm-hmm. like the allegory of the World's Fair, the IBM, and the other things that we've yet to talk about, you could look at that as a shadow of 2001 or the, the allegory that's being told in The Shining could be told as a shadow. It's definitely shadowing in, in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's a big shadow. It's interesting when when these things happen to you and you just go, oh my God, by, by elimination, if you pair Danny and the twins together, they seem to be paired together. They seem to be his doppelgangers. Grady to Jack, you can surmise that Lloyd the bartender is upstairs and is Wendy's doppelganger by simple elimination. Mm. And here's the funny thing about Lloyd and that's and the dog suit and what he's doing up there is that there's favors being given. Yeah. You know, favors has a lot of meaning. Party favors <laughs> has a lot of meaning in itself. <laughs> um what kind of favor are you offering me? Mm. Well, I like to know where my favors are coming from kind of a thing. Mm. I like to know who's paying for my drinks, uh-huh. you know? And Lloyd, I think, tries twice. He gets away with it once. He gives a, does a favor once. And then the second time, he's not, he's not taking it. No charge to you, Mr. Torrance. No charge? Your money's no good here. Orders from the house. Orders from the house. Drink up, Mr. Thomas. I'm the kind of man likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. It's not a matter that concerns you, Mr. Thomas. At least not at this point. But Grady takes him in to the bathroom, which we talked about before, which, you know, has a lot of meaning in there as well. Mm-hmm. It's the color of Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. But what, what happens, what kind of favor is going on in the bathroom? You know, they're, they're talking about things. Grady is giving him information, but there's another favorite that happens. And everybody wonders where Grady disappears to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the funniest thing that he disappears below the camera. And he's cleaning apricot off of Jack's trousers. Mm. So there's that there's that kind of favor going on. Mm. And Lloyd mm. expresses that favor is expressing that same kind of favor wow. up in the upper story. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's no wonder it's so busy at night. <laughs> Everybody's got, got serious things that they owe each other in the right. hotel. All the spirits have uh, vested interests and dirty little secrets with each other. That's 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 apparent from just the first viewing of the movie. But if you do start to think about it, wow, this is a, a bit of a revelation for me in terms of actually thinking about the fact that that shit's going on every night for all eternity, as far as we know. Mm. So there's a kind of an endless cycle of toxic behavior, interpersonal Sisyphus relations. Uh, good old boy system. You know, I'll wash your hand, you wash my hands mm -hmm. kind of a thing, I guess. And recurrence, lots of recurrence being expressed in The Shining. Like this, this is what happened before. It, maybe even to the point where it, it might be saying that, you know, Danny might have been these twins in another life. Mm -hmm. and Jack may have been Grady in another life. It works. And if that's the case, Wendy was was Lloyd in another time. Mm. That That's an interesting expression on on gender. Yes. Like if we if this is not the first time we've done this, I could be born into a woman as a woman. And it leads into some real critical thinking about well society and your own empathy yes his role as a bartender is a role where well, he's he's functioning in the role serving of spirits and yeah that that usually you would give to a spouse or partner but of course he's complaining about his marriage to the bartender and loading his problems to him to that surrogate that you're going to see and talk to more than you do your wife now that you're spending more time at the bar you've also got what you're doing by being there at the bar all the time every night anyway which is avoiding your wife and so then you're talking to lloyd lloyd is providing what you think you need or want from your wife that you're not going to get at home i'm i'm talking myself in a circle no you're good well jack when he's on the phone to Wendy and Wendy's got that Western in the background on TV and then the woman holding a dog in the background, which mm. is Alice Colville's painting, woman holding dog says a lot. And as this conversation is unfolding, Jack is looking towards the gold room. Mm. He's really eyeing it in that direction where the gold room's supposed to be. And you, like you just said, he wants to be that guy who's, at the bar and you know scoping ladies how much of their relationship is based on control issues but especially when there's a possibility of a big fracture and an argument of something that can't be resolved or that, that they can't get past which would be you know the abuse of Danny. it's there's a lot of horrible things going on in the shining lots of really really horrible things that I don't want to really talk about too much. But these are all expressed in Kubrick's other movies as well, especially Lolita. I can say that. Mm -hmm. But if you want, if you were to think about the most horrible thing that a mother could do, it would be some of those things that she would do to a child. There's a movie that expresses this really well. Um, and it's with the guy who's in the Fast and Furious and he passed. Um, I can't think of his name or the name of the movie. Oh, okay. Paul Walker. Is that the guy? Paul Walker. And it's a re it's a repeated title. It's been used somewhere else. But it's there's there's some really, really sinister child abuse going on by this 
couple hmm. and they have special rooms for these kids and it's just can't watch it. It's just, it's really disgusting. Yeah. And if I could think about the most horrible thing, it would be a mother doing that and disguising herself as being a good mother, mm-hmm. which in that layer of Wendy and Jack and Danny. Yeah. I think that's, what's being represented there. Jack's Jack's definitely to blame for the, the physical abuse. And it's easy to blame Jack for everything, but can we, we just need to blame everybody. I think everybody's playing a part. Yeah. I mean, if, if she ends up, being on and again yeah we'll just we'll let this maybe be the the most that we touch on it directly if she if she ends up being more overprotective of danny because of the physical abuse that he's getting and becomes so attached to him and protective of him that her feelings become warped or perverted into something else that then is channeled into something sexual the most horrible thing about it would be that she would have an emotional reason to do that via an overreaction or a, an equally but opposite horrible violation in the other direction of too much quote unquote love versus too much violence. Wes? Did I, I took that from you too. I'm no, so no, sorry. It's not that. taking your point. I, I, I also want to say that there is. Um, in that emergency episode, there is a scene where the woman and the and the mom in the episode is pacing back and forth, wondering what she's going to say to, to the police. And Wendy is also seen doing the same thing in uh. there. But to me, it just seems more like practice, like what you would say bef- because you just committed a crime. Mm. So there, there is that possibility there Mm -hmm. but also another horrible thing that i could think about is that someone getting something over on me and it causing my death and i never knew it and i never saw it coming If you take into account that in every Kubrick movie, there is a murder, Mm -hmm. um, Hmm. saying that Wendy also used her kid to get her husband to chase him out into the labyrinth and get lost. I'm saying that they practiced that maze. Uh, Which they did, which Danny did. And she wouldn't do with him. Uh, He wouldn't do with her. Yeah. He wouldn't go for a walk with her. Look at I'm coming in close. Right. You have to keep American Glee. Oh, no. Keep American Glee. Okay. Danny, you win. Let's take the rest of this walking. Huh? Okay. Three hands. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Yeah. And if you can glean that from there, that, that that's some pretty horrible things. And if, if it was a woman writing a fairy tale to her child to teach that child lessons, life lessons, those might be some of them. 
So it, it equalizes itself out, but then it then it becomes romanticized with Wendy writing this entire story on the outside, being on the side of the road, leaning up against her Volkswagen Bug. I don't know how you guys felt about the whole maze on a beam. Oh, it's yeah. reaching out, it, reaching outside, just like 2001 is reaching outside of itself and beside itself. The, the Shining is also reaching but in different ways, in its own ways. Mm -hmm. This is why Kubrick couldn't make 50 films like this. Yeah. The, the Shining, I think, was the perfect vehicle of a book for him to, to use and visualize. Incredible how it came together. Incredible how it came together, not only in spite of all the adversity, i.e. set burning down, everything with Shelley Duvall, all of the trouble that they had with building the, the maze and the fact that it was 90 degrees inside the studio when it was supposed to be wintertime in the maze when you had uh, you know, a bunch of uh, salt and formaldehyde fumes everywhere. There was something about the execution the clockwork precision execution that kubrick has a sense of perfection what's great in that's in vivian's documentary the behind the scenes documentary of her dad on the movie you mm -hmm. see some of that precision work coming out calmly you know they're just like a you know another day at the office sometimes you see it really frantically but in any one of those times you're seeing a man who is 100 percent invested in his mind and his mind was considerable and his mind was obsessive so you know that for the the three years that this was developed especially after you know the blockage the constipation of having uh, four or five years really of, of working since barry linden before the shining you know came out so let's say a couple of years at least of, of working on napoleon again and trying to get that off the ground and that not happening you have that the, the kind of creative constipation that that happened with a, a man I used to work for, Joe Carnahan, who was supposed to do Mission Impossible 3 for Tom Cruise, and they, they couldn't see uh, eye to eye on the project. And so he left, and after a year or, or and a half of his life, with not a movie made, he ended up going out and making this crazy movie called Smoke and Aces, which is basically kind of... <laughs> the mm. high compound espresso version of everything that he was thinking about because mm. all of those ideas have been just waiting to burst forth and so you have a stanley kubrick who has a mind so not only obsessive but that needs to think everything out his mind needs to think about what everybody's going to be doing six months in advance or he can't sleep at night then this is the perfect venue to layer in every possible meaning for a character. And, and when every decision exactly. being made in the movie is intentional, then any kind of numbers of layers can be put in. Right. And he built his universe for each film. From Clavia Space. This is Brent. I'm Wes. Signing off. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I always brush my teeth before I report back in for work. Why? Consideration for my co-workers. It's grueling enough without a face full of lamb cutlets. Mmm. They'll be so grateful to me now. What? They'll be so grateful. They'll say, look at that cat. 
going to come down. Even though it's midnight. <laughs> That's not true. It's eight o'clock. And Lord knows what he's been doing. He's down here, and he has a fresh and sparkling breath. You see? Now, you'll have to excuse me now, because I'm going to take a piss. Thank you.